Yes, yes, yes. What's going on, good people? This is MC2 with Everybody's Hip Hop Label, co-author of the Boom Bap Review. We'll get into that in a moment. But uh, tonight, the Boom Bap chat number 62. Man, I'm so, so excited. Probably more excited than any chat we've done yet because we have a legend in the room with us tonight. We are going to introduce him in just a moment and the room. But before that, if you are in Cincinnati, please go on over to uh, Pleasant Ridge and check out everybody's records. They have phenomenal uh, material there. Vinyl, CDs, tapes, books. Speaking of books, they got these books right here. This is the Boom Bap Review 1 and 2. If you don't have these, you can also get them online at boombapreview.com. So please check that out. I would greatly appreciate it. And without further ado, I want to introduce the room, the room first. Uh, so in the room, we have a a new face popping in. I'll let Profound introduce him, but uh, Profound is here with us. What's up, Profound? What's good, Till? How you doing, man? Come here, brother. Who you, I got, who you got youngest, with you, Profound? The youngest Profound out of the six, Elijah. Say what's up, Elijah. He's saying what's up, so you know how we do it. Right on. I, I hear Elijah got an arm on him, man. Yeah, man. He, he, he's got a, quite an arm on him, quite uh, a lot of abilities, man, on the football field at nine years old. We getting ready to make sure we cultivate that into something, you know? That's dope, dope. Good to have you, as always, Profound Elijah. It's good to have you, too, my man. Iomas Marad is with us, as always. What's up, Iomas? What up, Dotel? What's going on? What's up, Pro? What up, man. Neville? All my brothers, you know what I'm saying? I'm excited for this episode, man, for I sure. Know. I know you are. We all are, yeah. man. Big up, uh, Master Ace, man. Yeah, man. And lurking in the background, as always, we have Neville. What's up, Neville? We be doing it up Crooklyn style. Yeah. Right, right on, right on. Shout out to Mastace and the yep. If you follow the Boom Bap chat, you know this man that's in the building with us tonight. Uh, he is a legend. He is one of the few artists that have been putting it down for three decades. And every time he comes out with a project, it's dope. His, his catalog is impeccable. Live show is impeccable. Inspiring story, great dude. And we're gonna get into his story. Uh, some history, what he's doing now, and, and more. So we're going to have a good time tonight. So please join me in giving a nice, warm welcome to Master Ace. What's up, Master Ace? What's going on, Till? What's going on? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> Yo, it's so good to have you, man. Uh, one thing we like to do here at the Boom Bap Chat is give roses to people, man. We, we bring on people that we respect and admire, and so I'm going to throw it over to Profound. Man, uh, Ace, you didn't know I was going to do this, man. But what we do is we like to, we, we always say, man, that, you know, we wish that we could give people their flowers when they're here. And I wanted to take the opportunity to um, give you your flowers, man, because I remember, brother, when I first met you, I just happened to send a random email uh, to your website and to, to, one of your, to one of your moderators happened to respond. I think she was your cousin. And uh, happened to be from Chicago as well. But I just remember, man, how gracious you were, man, and just responding to me, man, and just willing to talk to me for a minute. And then even looked for me when you got to Chicago for the show. And ever since then, that was, I want to say that was like 2005, 2006. But ever since then, brother, like, I've followed your career, of course, since I was a kid from Take a Look Around to, you know, the Brooklyn story, basically. And then to have the opportunity to meet you and before to before I actually got to to meet you, you were already in my top ten of MCs. You made my top five list after I met you because of how how humbled I saw that you are. And then 
the opportunity to work with you as well on the album that Doug produced for me was just beyond something that I could ever dream of. So I wanted to give you your flowers, man. And I see you still doing it since 1988. And I'm sure you've been rhyming way before then, but to be active and to be a positive role model, you a father as well, man. And I just wanted to give you your props, man. So we just wanted to say thank you, man, for being who you are. Thank you for coming on the show. And I wanted to hand you your roses, brother. Well, thank you for that, man. Um, yeah, I didn't realize it'd been that long, 2005. We've known each other a good while now, man. Um, yes, sir. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad we were able to connect like that. You know, I've I've always tried to be open to any and everybody that wants to meet me. If if, if the opportunity presents itself and, and we can make it happen, I, I try to make it happen. Just even a little bit of dialogue, because I know for some people, just that that few moments of dialogue could, could mean a, a lot to that person because of something maybe they're working on or trying to trying to figure out. So I really do try to extend my time when I can. And, and, and you know, um, I'm, I'm glad I was able to do that because look, look at all these years later, we're still in touch. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And gonna, and gonna stay in touch. That's how we get down. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, so man, well, well Till, um, I'm going to let Till start it off, man. You know, Ace, like I said, you know, we just said, I know I've known you. I do have my own set of questions, man. So, Till, let's let's just let's just get into it with Ace, man. I, I, we got some interesting things for you, Ace. So, yeah. see, see if we can go places where some people haven't gone with you before. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of that, I, I want to jump into football just real quick because I know Elijah is still hanging around. I see his head pop in from time to time. And, Ace, you, you played football for a while, right? I played in high school four years. Four years. Do you still are you? Do you still follow football? Are you into football? Oh, it's the only sport that I really, with any any real enthusiasm, follow. Like mm -hmm. I, I watching the NBA playoffs and stuff like that. But in terms of like, you know, both feet in, like that's the sport that I focus on the most. Um, yeah. I I didn't watch the NFL for three years during the during the the, the Trump regime. Um, with everything that went on, I decided right. to just really boycott, and I boycotted for three straight years, which. Mm probably was a good thing for me because I didn't realize how entrenched I was in the sport mm. until I, until I took three years away from it. Yeah. Um, and now I'm just graduate. Like last year was the first full season that I watched in three years. Oh, wow. Um, and so I've just been gradually kind of getting myself back into it. I, it's three years is a lot because yeah. all the, pl the players change the names right. change. You know, you don't realize, you know, who guys are switch teams and stuff like that. So, um, I'm playing catch up now, uh, but I, I, I played for four years in high school. I had, I, I had aspirations to play in college. Mm -hmm. Um, the only reason I didn't play in college, to be honest, is because I went to, uh, I went to a school that was at a level probably above what I should have gone. I should I probably mm -hmm. should have went D2 or D3. Right. Um, cause I, I could have, I could have played at D2. Um, but I went to a one double A school and I just didn't have, I, you know, when I was in high school, I didn't lift weights. I didn't like to lift weights. I would, yeah. me and a few of the guys, we would, we would sneak out of weightlifting and, you know, <laughs> you can't play, you can't play at that level. Right. If your body isn't ready for it. And yeah. so, um, you know, I wasn't particularly fast and I wasn't big enough. And so I, I really cheated myself out of a, a high school of a college football experience because I was trying to go to a school that was bigger than what I really should have gone. Right. Um, but after that, um, I, I coached, I wound up coaching. I started in 2002 and I coached for 11 years, uh, high school, nine, nine years at one school in Brooklyn okay. and then two, 
and then two years in New Jersey. Um, and my last season coaching was 2012. I haven't coached since, but I, I always look and wonder if, if maybe there's a chance down yeah. the road to, to get back into coaching. Well, well, if you had some wisdom to impart to young Elijah here tonight, what, what would you tell him? Man, just, um, just continue to work hard, listen to your coaches, um, try to improve every day. Um, just remember that every day that you're not improving, some other kid out there is getting better. Um, so try to have that mentality of, you know, I'm, 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 I'm practicing because I know that there's a hundred other kids practicing as hard as me and I want to outpractice them and outwork them. Um, and when, when the time comes nine years old is too early to be working, lifting weights and things like that. But when right. that, when the time comes, you know, usually around 13, 14 is when we say it's okay to start lifting weights. Um, you know, take it seriously and, um, listen, listen to your coaches is the, is, is the main thing. Um, yeah. be, be coachable, you know, mm. be coachable, be coachable. I like that. That's dope. And, um, my man Sid on Facebook asked if you were an Eagles fan. I am. Everybody, <laughs> everybody should know that by now. Um, yeah, I'm an Eagles fan since 1980. The 79-80 season is, is the year that I officially became an Eagles fan. Um, up until that time, I, I rooted for a few different NFC teams. I liked, I liked the, Back then, I liked the Vikings. I liked the Rams. I pretty much rooted for any team that gave the Cowboys a little bit of a hard time beat them sometimes because the Cowboys were just really so good in the seventies. And it, it used to frustrate me because they would always win. Even they could be down two touchdowns in the fourth quarter and somehow they would just end up winning. Right. And so I just hated them. And so I, I grew, I grew up hating Dallas. And so I, like I said, back then I rooted for any teams that at least gave them a, a good game. And so, so those were some of the teams that I rooted for. Um, ultimately in 80, when the Eagles beat them in the NFC championship game to go to the Super Bowl, I decided that I was going to stick with them. Yeah. Nice. That's dope. That's dope. Well, thanks to Sid for that question. If you're watching on Facebook, let us know, comment below and let us know what you what, what, what's your team? Who do you root for? Uh, any football questions, any follow-up from you profound or Elijah on football before we, we jump into the hip hop stories? Uh, my, okay. my comment is he takes it very serious. I'm surprised as a nine-year-old because he's, um, I was fairly silly and energetic as a child, and he has a lot of energy. But the one time that he is serious is when he has that football. Mm, that's dope. That's good. That's yeah, good. You need yeah. that. And you know the times when you know a couple of you know this little arthritis be hitting my knee, my mm. knee swelled up a little bit, but he still wanted to go out there, and I still pushed to go out there to make sure I throw it with him because I know how important it is just to have you know just to put a little bit of effort when you see that they are trying to uh, accomplish something, man. And I just want them to be able to accomplish it all, you know? So man, yeah. so I appreciate you sending that shout to them. Cause yeah. 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 F- football is a sport that you can't, you can't force on a kid. Mm. The kid has to love it and want to do it. Yeah. Um, and so it sounds like Elijah in- enjoys it, loves it, wants to do it. And, and that's, that's half the battle right there. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, Dope. Thank, thanks for taking some time to, to, to speak and to Elijah. We, we love kids around here, so we appreciate that. Of course. Um, jumping into your hip-hop story, Master Ace, can, can you remember, like, what was hip-hop like for you, um, you know, growing up? Was it something that was just around and you just kind of lived, lived into it? Like, what was kind of your first memories of hip-hop? My first memories of hip-hop, I didn't even really know that it was hip-hop because I don't mm-hmm. think that's what we, we were call, calling it yet. Right. But it was the seventies and I was probably 11, 12 years old. And they were playing, they would play these, they would have these jams in the park. That's what we call them jams. 
Mm-hmm. The, the the local DJs in the neighborhood would bring out their big bass bottom speakers. They would set up their turntables in the park, and they would turn on this super loud music. Yeah, most of the music that the DJ was playing was disco. Um, mm. But then when Sheik dropped the song "Good Times," which which is technically a disco record, because um, Sheik was I think Sheik is considered a disco group. Um, but when "Good Times" came out, um, and that break that break. Uh, in, in that song and the DJs would go back and forth good times doom, doom, and bring it back mm-hmm. at, at that point cats in the neighborhood started getting on the mic and rapping over that over that break right and and so I didn't re- I didn't really realize what I was seeing at the time but that was the the very very beginning stages of you know this culture called hip-hop that's super dope 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 and kind of fast forwarding a little bit can you, I've heard this story once. I haven't heard you talk about it a lot and our, our audience may not know this story, but can you share uh, how you got onto the symphony? Uh, really by chance. Um, I was, there was a, the, the day of the photo shoot for Molly Marlin Control, mm-hmm. volume one. Um, I was there along with, if you look on the back of the cover, you see everybody that was there. Biz, Kane, um, G-Rap, Craig G., Marley, um, Shan, steady pace. Uh, and so we took the photos and then I overheard a conversation with Craig and Marley and they were talking about going to Marley's house to record um, one last song for the album. And I, and, and I overheard that G-Rap and Kane was supposed to be on the song. Mm. Um, I was a big Kane fan at that, at that point. I, you know, I followed him. I felt like what he was doing was really groundbreaking in terms of lyrics, in terms of punchlines and his, de- his flow and his delivery. All that was just like different for me. Yeah. And I was like, this guy is like next level. Yeah, yeah. So I really just wanted to tag along to the studio session so I could hear what they were going to do. I just wanted to hear this Kane rhyme, you know? Right. Um, and so when they were leaving to go um, to the studio, which was Marley's house, I actually um, was the extra ride because Craig didn't have a car. A G rapping came, bro, with Marley and Craig. I was driving, so I was like, "Craig, I'll drive you over there." But really, I just wanted to tag along and kind of just be curious and nosy and see and hear mm-hmm. this new song. Before, you know, when they were gonna put it down. Right. So I was, I just wound up hanging around and stayed at the crib and listened to the beat. They were listening to the beat, rhyming, writing their rhymes or whatever. And then when it came time to spit, um, nobody wanted to really go in the booth first. Mm. Um, and they were kind of passing the buck. You know, Kane said, let Craig go first. Craig said, let G-Rap go first. Ah. And so Marley was like, yo, Ace, you got something for this? I was like, yo, I'm always ready. I said, I got a verse. You know, I, I keep a verse. Right. So he's like, just go in there and just, you know, warm the mic up. Since these guys are acting scared, they don't want to go first. <laughs> And that's why he ended up saying, I don't care who first or who last on the right. song because of that whole back and forth that happened in real life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dope. Profan, you have something? I mean, oh, uh, man, like, hell, I don't know. I mean, I'm stunned at that, man. Like, so was there was there competitive tension? Because they, you know, you got Kane and G-Rap 
You know what I'm saying? Like, was did you feel any competitive tension um, uh, going first? I mean, not going first, but just even dropping the verse, period. No, nah, not at all. Um, you got to remember, like, this is this is probably uh, this was 88. So or, or, or yeah, this, this was 88. This was 88. And Kane's album hadn't dropped yet. When we recorded the song, Kane's album hadn't come out yet. So mm. theoretically, Kane wasn't Kane yet. And G-Rap mm. wasn't G-Rap yet. Right. Okay. They were dope. They had songs, you know, um, and they were dope on those songs, but they were not the commodity that they became years later. Um, but I knew that they were both dope, you know. Um, and so for me as an MC, I was confident in what I could do. I think probably deep down, I wanted them, because they had never heard me rhyme before. They had never heard me rap. So mm. deep down, I kind of wanted to kind of show what I could do. Um, and so, yeah, there was, it definitely wasn't a competitive thing at all, um, you know, until I heard G-Rap's verse. And then I was like, oh, shoot. I should have <laughs> I sh- I sh- I sh- I said something different. <laughs> I should have said this other, I should have said this other verse. You know, today when you know those of us that love that era of hip-hop when we look back most of us look back and be like oh that was a classic juice crew classic crew that song was a classic song classic moment in hip-hop was what do you like do you remember back then feeling like wow i'm I'm a part of something that's like really like this is really amazing was there ever a moment like that or was it kind of in time you kind of look back and thought wow that, that was pretty cool yeah you don't realize like the word classic couldn't really be used because right. it was, there was no, there was nothing was really classic yet. Right. But yeah. just like I said, Kane wasn't Kane yet. G-Rap wasn't G-Rap yet. Um, that song, it was just a dope song that people like that, that was getting played on the radio in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, because we shot a video for it, that, that brought a lot more attention to it. And it also made people know who I was because had that not been a single, had we not done a video for that song, you know, maybe my career doesn't turn out the way it turns out. It, it, right. was, it, was, it was really that video that really, um, you know, was the launch pad for, for my career and people knowing who I was. Yeah. You know, I heard in an interview one time where you like kind of mid 90s, you kind of got, you know, I, I don't know what the right word is, disillusioned, got fed up with the industry. Uh, what do you like? looking back, what do you appreciate and what do you really, you know, what did you really enjoy about that era before that kind of settled in? Um, I like the studio sessions because I was constantly learning and trying to be creative. Um, I enjoyed being in the studio. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if I fully, because it was, there was always, I was always attached to a major and when you're when you're signed to a major, there's all you always have to answer to somebody. And I never yeah. liked that. Yeah. Um, I never liked the fact that I had to think about these people who wore suits and ties and make sure that the music, you know, wasn't was was aligned with what they thought commercial commercially successful songs sounded like. Yeah. Um so I know you asked what I what I liked about the era, but that's, you know, I liked being in the studio because it was it was a bunch of us in there and we were just being super creative, 
guys would come with records and beats and drums and you know it was it was really like a you know a, a smorgasbord like my mm-hmm. album slaughterhouse when i was working on that album it was five six seven different people in the, in 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 the studio together and you know somebody would come with a drum track you know, on a, dr- a drum track is joe you don't got no loop for it let me find a loop and somebody's mm-hmm. over in, on this turntable looking for a loop and then I'm over here and I got, oh, I found some horns. I found some horns. Mm-hmm. And that's how that's how that album was put together like that. But I, you know, I missed that that part of it. Yeah. It was it was, it was fun. Yeah, that's 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 dope. Uh to my boom bap chat brothers here. Uh, you all have any questions that you're curious about as it relates to to the 90s and Master Ace's story from then? I know Io does. Yeah. <laughs> what's up, Io? I'm just uh, what's up, peace, peace. Uh I'm just curious to how uh Ace from Brooklyn, how did you meet Molly Marl? Like, how did that relationship form? So uh, I was in college, um, my second year in college, sophomore year, and I came home for Christmas break. And while I was home, my boy Scooter, uh, who lived on the other side of Brownsville, he called me and he said he's about to go to this contest at the skating rink out in Queens. And he invited me to, to roll with him and, and enter the contest. Uh, we, we were probably like two of the, in our minds, we were two of the doper rappers in our, in our area. So I was like, bet I'll, I'll enter. And, and I had never even been on stage by myself before. I had never rapped in front of uh, strangers in my life. I only rapped, you know, in, at my high school talent show, stuff like that, but never in front of strangers. But I had no, I had no fear. And we got on the train, went up there. I entered the contest. I ended up winning the contest, and the first prize was six hours of studio time with with Marley Mall. And so that later that summer, because this was Christmas break, I called them. I called them that entire rest of that winter, the whole spring. And I didn't read. I didn't get in touch with them until the summer of that 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 following, you know, that following summer. And that's when I said, you know, you owe me some studio time. I need my studio time, and Cause he was trying to duck me and um, you know, he had been paid for the studio by the skating rink, but he was trying to duck me. And uh, luckily his sister uh, who had probably spoken to me 30 times during those, during those, that spring and that summer, you know, she felt sorry for me at a certain point. Cause you know, I was calling twice, two, three times a week and she knew my name. So she heard my voice. How you doing Ace? He's not here. Um, and then one day she was just like, you know what? This ain't even his real number. Here's his real number. And she gave me the real number and I called him. And that's when I finally got my, I got in touch with him and I got to come to his crib and get my studio time. Thanks for sharing that. that yeah. Persistence, persistence, persistence. It gets mm-hmm. you somewhere. Hey, second, sec, sec, second plate, second prize was $500. And I, I was mad I didn't get that, so mm. I, I needed that studio time. <laughs> I need five hundred thousand records sold, five million Perfect. records sold. I want, I want to like uh, this. Yeah, wow, that that shows a lot. Um, I want to ask. I think that Marley Marl is highly underrated, in my opinion. I don't speak for other folks, but when you hear the top five or the Mount, uh, Mount Rushmore right of producers, like you said earlier, depending on who you ask. He's he's not always mentioned there. It's the Creams, the Pete Rocks, right? The da 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 Dillas, da da da. Sometimes he gets an honorable mention, but he's not the one that just rolls off the tongue quickly. 
what do you, for you now, who, who's worked with him, what do you think his special technique was? Or what did you like about working with him in the studio when you started to have that relationship and started to, you know, develop the master ace, quote unquote, sound with him? I think, I think the reason that maybe he gets overlooked sometimes is because there was, there was a reputation within the industry, not so much to the public, but he had a reputation within the industry of um, kind of co-producing records with, 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 with artists. Like a lot of the records that, the bigger records, the Biz records, the Kane records, like those artists, they were essentially co-producing those records and they never got credit for it. And, mm. you know, if he, if he doesn't get the, the proper nod that he should get, it, it's, it's a little bit his fault, you know, um, because Marley actually is a super talented producer, a brilliant drum programmer. Um, and, you know, a bunch of the records on my first album are actual the samples are from my mother's actual record collection. Like I physically brought records up to Marley's house and was like, I want to rap over this. But I didn't know how to work equipment. I didn't know how to sample. I didn't know how to drum program, none of it. So his mastery is when he can take that sample that you bring him and turn it into a song mm. with, with, with the drum program and hi-hats, the 808s, like, he would do his thing to the music to make it what it what it became, which was these dope ass rap records. Mm. I think that it would have gone a long way if he had just simply, you know, on business records put co-produced by Biz Marquis. On Kane's records put co-produced by Big Daddy Kane. Mm. Um, but you know, he deserve he definitely deserves to be to be mentioned because he proved his he proved his worth with the LL Mama Said Knock You Out album. So as much as a lot of the Juice Crew records, they were co-produced by other people. That LL Cool J, Mama Said Knock You Out album, he was he just got into a zone and he killed it. And that album stands the test of time. It's, it's, it's yeah. probably LL's best album, to me, anyway. Yeah. Um, and every joint mm -hmm. on that album is banging. And I was around when that album was being made. I got to hear a lot of those songs get mixed. Oh, wow. Um, and I sat in on a couple of those mixing sessions. And, you know, um, so as much, like I said, as much as people want to maybe pull some credit from him because of not giving credit to others, um, he, he deserves all his credit and all his flowers for that LL album. And I think that album, to me, solidifies who he actually is as a producer. Yeah. So you, you recorded and released Take a Look Around and then did the Master Ace Incorporated albums with Slaughterhouse and Sitting on Chrome. And then I think that was 95, Sitting on Chrome, yep. if I'm not mistaken. And then Correct. there was a, a bit of a hiatus, at least, you know, from a fan's perspective. Yeah, about six years. Yeah. What was going on in those six years? So I was signed to Delicious Vinyl, a label out in L.A., Mm -hmm. um, I had I had some pretty big commercial success with a couple of songs, Born to Roll, INC Ride, Sitting on Chrome, got a lot of radio play. But while those records were, um, you know, climbing the charts, back home in New York, 
the the sentiment about me in New York was that I was a quote unquote West Coast sellout that I had mm. abandoned my roots in New York and had moved to LA. Like people were actually running to me downtown Brooklyn and be like, "Oh, how long are you out here? How are you talking about? I live here." Mm. They they literally thought that I moved to LA. So I I was trying to do everything in my in my power to fight against that that perception of me. Yeah. So. I told Delicious Vinyl I wanted to get off the label. I wanted to get back to a New York label. And so I mm -hmm. went back to New York. I signed with a label back in New York called Big Beat Records. They were distributed mm -hmm. by Atlantic. And for 90, 96 and 97, I worked on songs for that album for Big Beat. Mm -hmm. um, at the end of that process, around 97, I had a meeting with the, the powers that be. And this was the really the, the early stages of the bad boy era and, and, and Diddy and they were taking all this R&B stuff and they were turning it into rap joints and right. the music was changing. And, yeah. you know, and the label saw all the records that bad boy was selling and they basically told me that they needed me to deliver them some records like that. Mm. Um, and, 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 you know, they wanted me to, you collaborate with changing faces and Brian McKnight and this kind of stuff. And I wasn't feeling it. I, yeah. I actually, I tried to give them some records that I thought was close to what they were asking for, but I didn't go far enough. Like yeah. I had some cool little, little, little loops in there. And, and, and some of the, the lyrics I was saying was kind of in line with the party vibe and, mm -hmm. you know, the jiggier lyrics kind of stuff. And, but they wanted me to go much further than I was willing to go. Yeah. And so that album got shelved. And when that album got shelved in around 97, um, I said, I said, screw it. I'm, I'm going to, I'm done. Like mm -hmm. I literally said, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to focus on working behind the scenes. I threw together a resume. I started shot. I've started handing resumes out at labels around New York. Um, I actually started making beat tape, beat CDs and, mm -hmm. and passing those around to different A&Rs, trying to see if I can get some placements or some of my production. But I really left it, I left it alone from 97, 98, 99. Um, I was like, I'm done. It was really around 99 that I did a, a one-off single with, with, with a guy named Jay Love. And um, I did a couple of one-off singles and that was just me testing the water. I did one in 99, right. I, did, I did one in 2000. And and then after I did those records, uh, I went out to Philadelphia to, to work with uh, Jazzy DJ, DJ Jazzy Jeff mm. and the Touch of Jazz producers. Yep. They, were, they were out there working on a bunch of different music. And when I went out there and hung out with, ja with Jeff and them, I kind of started to get a little renewed feeling about making mm -hmm. music because I, I saw dudes being creative. You know, he had about three different pre-production rooms out there. And you could just walk from one room to another and dudes are in there just working, like making beats. Yeah. And I could I could walk into any room and just start writing a song to whatever beat they were making. Like it was mm. like that that kind of creative vibe. And I was like, this yeah. is dope. I like this. Um, and then in 2000, I was asked to do a tour in 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 uh in Europe. Uh, it was a bunch of dates in the UK and a couple of dates in Germany and um and Italy. And I went over there and I did these, it was like 13 shows I did. And to my surprise, like the turnouts were incredible. Mm. I really, I really thought, you know, 
I think in my mind, I thought that whatever the sentiment was happening in New York, that that was what everybody thought. So I didn't, I went, I went out there thinking like nobody was going to be really showing up for the show. It wasn't right. going to be that dope. And to my surprise, people filled those, filled those venues, knew the words to the songs, was singing along. And I came home from that tour with a, with a, with a renewed sense of, I feel like I could still do something. And I, I feel like if I am going to leave the game, I should leave on my own terms. I should do one more record yep. to just kind of, with, with, no, with no influence from any of these majors and just really just do, the, do one final record with, with, and let it be exactly what I wanted to say. And that album was Disposed of Watch. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you made that album. And it, it's funny that you just brought that up because our man, Mark McCauley, who's a big Ace fan on Facebook, just asked this question. He said, can you speak on the thought process for the track, No Regrets? Mm. Um, were you really thinking about hanging up the mic like the song implies? And he also yeah. said, glad you didn't. So. Yeah, it, 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 was, it, was my, it was my swan song. It was the swan mm. song. Yeah. I knew that, I, I mean, I, I was pretty confident that I had reached the end of the road. Um, wow. Because I really didn't think that people wanted to hear more music from me. Um, and I was okay with that. It was just like, all right, well, if this is what it is, let me just lay it all out, how I feel about the, the journey, you know? Yeah. And, and, and so that's why those lyrics sound the way they sound, um, because I really thought that was going to be it. Yeah. Man, I remember, I remember getting that album, I think at a Best Buy, getting a CD with my buddy from college and, um, you know, just going home, playing it and just, you know, the skit, like just the whole thing was just like nerding off to it like just loving that album man it's such a such a phenomenal when i ask people what's your favorite master ace album that one often comes up a lot of people love that album uh well, for whatever it's worth it's my favorite of mine mm. why Ooh. why is yeah why is that for for that album that album alone has extended my career 20 years mm. yeah um wow. my, my my career before that album was about six years and it looked like it was over. And then I dropped Disposable Arts. And I, and I, because of that one album, I tagged on 20 more years of, 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 of music because of that wow. album. Wow. On your so terms. Dope. On your That's terms. Amazing. Yeah, on, on your terms. terms. On exactly. my terms. It's so much exactly. more powerful. Three times. You got three times the length on your terms. Yeah. Yep. That last, you, you did, we talk about football, you threw the Hail Mary pass. And, got caught. <laughs> and they caught it, Boom. yeah. Super Bowl ring. Not ring, yeah. Super Bowl rings. Plural. Yeah. And what's what's wild, and we'll, we'll kind of go through your albums here, you know, since Disposable Arts, but What's wild for me and one of the reasons why, you know, your music and your story is so inspiring is because it extended your your career 20 more years. And the last album you put out is probably my favorite album of yours, you know, and I can't most artists that I, I love from the 90s. Usually my favorite art, album from them is from the 90s. You know, right. they, they might still put out good music, but not as good. But, but right. you know, your new one, Brooklyn Story, I'm like, man, I, I, I can't stop playing this one, you know. And so that's just a testament to how well you craft albums together. Um, before we go on to the next album, uh, Boom Bap Chat Brothers, any questions about Disposable Arts? Man, Disposable Arts, I don't have a question, you know, my comment, because everybody that I seem to know, they uh -huh. jump all over me, Ace. But man, I heard Long Hot Summer before I heard Disposable Arts. And that one right there. I heard it first because Doug had played it for me. 
And then I had because Doug has a song on there. Yeah, he had two. <laughs> he's the only one with two on that long house yeah, song. Yeah. So yeah. then when I went back to disposable arts, I was like, oh, this is why everybody is talking about it. Yeah. But by that time, I was so I had long hot summer was on repeat so much for me. I had to really stop and force myself to to open myself up to disposable arts. Like, oh, OK, I understand. It's like somebody walking in on the Empire Strikes Back. And then you got to go back and look at Star Wars and all of that to really understand what's going on. I'm like, yeah, I see why they say that this is this is his best one. I get it. I'm just still partial to Long High Summer. <laughs> that's fair. That's, hey, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. But speaking it is of, the speaking of Long question. Yeah, go ahead. Now about ahead. disposable arts. Just a quick good? question here. Random. Shame on me. I'm going to be honest. Never heard that one. Heard the other ones, not that one. And this is a random question, but I did notice this on doing some research for this show today. I wanted to ask the cover art. Why the car seat? What's going on with that? Mm. Just curious. I didn't understand it. Okay, so I love this story. Break it down. Yeah. <laughs> as I as I mentioned, um, I had I had some really good commercial success in the mid '90s with a song called "Born to Roll," which was basically a car culture record uh, about sound systems and cars. And then my label saw the success of that song and was like, "Oh, you you onto something? We need you to do a whole, do more records like this." <laughs> And so there's that label influence again. So I right. went back in the studio and I created another song called INC Ride. Then I decided to do a whole album of car culture songs. Not, mm. not the whole album, but the, the theme of the album was about the car culture. And so I did the whole album called Sitting on Chrome. So it's about rims. So I was really trying to deliver to the label what they were asking me for. Mm. When, when all of that kind of came crashing down and I had this backlash in New York for you know me sort of being this West Coast you know, switch over. Um, I really wanted to just leave that car stuff behind. And so to me, the cover represents, because there's a, there's a seat, but there's no car. To me, the cover represents me, the coming of age, me stepping out of that image of being the, the car culture, the car boom, booming system guy into something different. Um, I left the cars behind is what I was basically trying to say with that, with that mm. cover. I love it. I love that. That's, That's dope. dope. I never do that. That's dope. That is dope. Profound. You muted yourself by accident. You're so excited. Man, I never <laughs> knew like, that. Yeah, just, <laughs> the doc, just the documentary alone and this, this, the disposable yeah. arts documentary where they broke down how they like put the, where that was Ace's idea. The photo shoot wasn't going well. And he's like, just not working. Let's go do yeah. something else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 bro. <laughs> it, it was it was meant to be because the 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 photo the studio where we shot the pictures was right next door to an auto auto repair shop and there was a whole bunch of junked cars outside. Mm. And when I walked in that day in the morning to go get you know get changed, I saw that car seat sitting on a pile mm. of junk, and the, and it entered my mind, but. It, it quickly left my mind, but I just looked at it and I was like, oh shoot, a car seat just sitting there. And then I went inside and didn't think about it no more until the photo shoot was underway and it was looking real boring. And I was like, what are we doing? We're just standing here, like we got to spice this up. And, and you know, the, the, the photographer's like, well, what do you want to do? I was like, I'll be right back. And I ran outside. I took that seat off the pile of junk brought it inside and sat it i sat it on the on the white paper and he's like what are we doing with this i was like i don't know 
I'm gonna sit on it, just take pictures. And that wound up being a cover. That's dope. That's dope. And you mentioned someone mentioned the documentary. If you're if you're tuning in and if you've not seen the documentary, it's on YouTube. You can just, you know, search it. Uh, Master Ace Disposable Arts, you know, documentary. It'll pop up. It's a real informative, great watch. Um, be, because we we could be here all night with you, Master Ace. I did I did want to go through your um, post '90s catalog and just ask you. You know, you talked about disposable arts. If you could, could you just tell us, you know, which what these albums mean to you now as you look back at them? Uh, first, going with um, this wonderful album, Long Hot Summer. What's this album mean to you now, you know, reminiscent or, you know, looking Man, um, 2004, the, the tour we did with that album, um, that album put me on, officially on the map in Europe. Mm. Disposable was the, was the sort of the, the, the introduction yeah. to, to, to European fans, but Along Hot Summer put me on the map where, I was a formidable uh, artist that needed to be heard. And people really came out, we, like we were doing festivals. When that album came out, we were doing festivals. Um, and to me, Disposable and Long Hot Summer are one and one A. They go together. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They're, they're part of the, cause I only did, I only did the Long, the Long Hot Summer album because when Disposable dropped, the distributor went out of business Mm. one month after the album came out. Oh, wow. So I, we lost our distribution one month after the album came out. And mm. so, so right away I knew, oh man, this album isn't going to get the proper, you know, notoriety recognition. This was supposed to be my last joint, but right. it's getting kind of shortchanged because of this mess up with the, with the distributor. So I got to do one more record just so that people know about disposable arts. Right. Oh. So right. so I created yeah. I created, you know, Along Hot Summer as the prequel to Disposable Arts. Mm. The thinking there was people are going to hear Long Hot Summer, love it and then find out through my interviews that there's another album connected to it that tells the rest of the story. And so that's why that's why that album was made that way. That's super dope. I love that. So I, I didn't that. have it wrong then. So I heard the first one right. You, you heard you it go. in the right order. Right, yeah. You heard it in the right order. <laughs> in the right order. That's crazy. <laughs> yep. yep. So then you put out this this darn near masterpiece. This is uh Ma Doom. Rest in peace to oh. Doom. Son of Yvonne. M.A. Doom. Yeah. Yeah. M.A. Doom. Sorry. It, what, what do you yes, think? Of, yeah. What do you think about this one? Now that you look back at it. Wow. So that album. That album wasn't supposed to be an album. It was supposed to, it was going to just be a mixtape, a free mixtape. We were just going to throw out, I was just going to just spit a bunch of raps over Doom's beats, right? you know, from his special herbs releases. I was just going to take a bunch of them and, cause I was in between projects. So I was yeah. like, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just spit over some of these beats and throw them out there on the internet for free for people. Um, but then Fat Beats found out about my idea and they were like, oh, no, we're not giving that away for free. We got to do something else with that. That's that's no, no, no. So once they decided that they were going to invest money in it, I said, well, I, I can't in my, in, in my good consciousness, I can't just give people throwaway verses. Right. Yeah. And like a mixtape. I got to do I got to make it an album and I got to make it about something. And I was still struggling with the loss of my mom's because she passed in 05 and mm. So I was still, I still was struggling with that. And yeah. uh, I figured that 
I could use that album as a way to kind of say thanks um, and to make people aware of who she was. Um, and so I decided to use that album as really a form of therapy for me mm. to kind of help me get over her loss. Yo, I love that album. Such, such a beautiful I album. I do too. I do yeah. too. So this next, oh, go ahead, Ayomas. I was just saying, I love the song about his moms. Yeah. Like yeah. the one he did at the tiny desk. He killed it, bro. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that joint. Dude, that's one of my, band, bro. <laughs> one of my favorite tiny desk concerts, man. That was super I appreciate dope. it. Yeah, man. So this next one is I always call this the sleeper album from from your catalog because I think it's one of your better ones, but I don't hear people talk about it as much as the other ones, but I love it. This is the falling season. Yeah, you, man. That that's intelligence. Oh. That 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 album right there. I think I think because it 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 was a little bit the distribution was a little bit of an issue there with that one, but um, that that album out of all my albums is the most autobiographical mm, um, yeah. because because the story that that's told on that album is pretty much the the real life true story. What happened? I mean, there's some embellishments in there, some humor right. thrown in that that weren't supposed to be there. Um, but my actual the, the the coach on that the, the guy who plays the coach on that album is my actual high school football coach. Oh wow! Really? Yeah, that's his voice. Um, oh, that's cool. He's in he's in his 80s now, so I, I wanted to I wanted to immortalize him on that on that album, you know, because he's up there in age and stuff like that. He's he's almost he's almost 80. He's almost 80. Um, and there's three young men on that album. That one plays me, and then one plays two two of the other kids uh, play like friends, right? Right. Yep. All all three of the young men on the skits on that album are sons of my high school football teammates. Oh, Even the Italian character? That's dope. Not, not Fats. Not okay, fat. okay. Fat, 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 I love fat, Fats. That's my boy. <laughs> fats is a carryover character from A Long Hot Summer because right. people, love, people love them so much on summer, I had to bring them back. Yeah, that was a good call. Yeah, I, love, yeah. I love that. All right, so my favorite, like I said, I think this is my favorite album, uh, A Brooklyn Story with you and Marco Polo. And I love the fact that you you told his story, Polo, Marco yeah, Polo. Yeah. I think that's so dope. Anyway, yeah. What do you, what do you think about that's this good. album now? That's a few years out. Love that album, man. Love, love the way it came out. Um, it was, it was, the, it was the easier of all the albums to do mm. because Marco really took on half the workload. Normally all my records, the records you held up, I'm there for obviously the recording, but the mixing, the mastering, yeah. every aspect of the album being completed, the skits, everything. Yeah. But but with this album, I was able to pass some of the workload over. And Marco actually, he asked for that. He's like, yo, let me handle the mixing. Let me handle the, you know, the the final, the final polishing of it. You know, and, and I was like, all right, man, I'm gonna trust you. Cause I'm not used to that. I'm not used to handing over the steering wheel, yeah. you know halfway through the ride but i trusted marco and man he 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 knocked it out the park you know yeah. we 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 definitely communicated throughout the mixing process he would send me mixes and i would say yo those vocals are too low or that right. that that chorus got to be brighter like i would give him my notes mm -hmm. 
and he would he would he would he would I got you I got you and he would go back and tweak and do his thing or whatever but he was determined for that album to knock and it, it knocks yeah it does it, sa- it sounds really 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 good and that's a testament to him and I made the story about him because I, I had told I had told a bunch of my story already you know with those right. albums you held up um and it was kind of time during that time his his, his dad had fallen ill um and you know, he was he was really worried about his dad at that time. And I was like, you know, I we didn't know what was going to happen. And I was like, I, I said, it would be good to have the same way I immortalized my coach's voice on the fallen season. Let's immortalize his dad. Mm-hmm. And once I and once I thought about putting his dad's voice on the album, then the rest of it just immediately was like, oh, let's make the song about him completely. Then Yeah. And yeah. and it was a it was just a good it was for me. It was a good departure to write, uh, you know, I knew, I knew most of his story, but right. of course embe- it's, it's embellished. It's embellished. Right, sure. it's, it, there's humor added. There's, right. you know, the conversations aren't verbatim what happened in real life, but right. we're trying to tell his story, you know, l- loosely based on his real life story. Right. And it's, and, and it's also your story, you know, talking a lot about Brooklyn. Um, and on that note, I know Neville, uh, Neville, you want to ask your question about Brooklyn? You with us, Neville? Yes, sir. Sorry. No, um, you're good. Two questions about Brooklyn. One, I think you mentioned it before, actually. You said you're from Brownsville, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Brownsville, yep. Brooklyn? All right. Yep. I asked this from the handful of Brooklyn MCs that have come on. What? And I get different answers, so it's interesting. I want to hear your take on it. What do you think it is about Brooklyn that makes, quote, unquote, Brooklyn MCs stand out a certain way um, compared to the other boroughs? Mm. Brooklyn is the biggest borough, first of all. We're the biggest borough, we're the most populated. And it seems like no matter where you go around the United States, if you say it's Brooklyn in the house, somebody's gonna be yelling out. <laughs> I don't know why it is. Maybe it's because there's, you know, there's almost three million people in Brooklyn. Um right. we spread out, we spread out well, man. And we and there's a there's a sense of pride that goes kind of goes with it. You know, people are happy to say, yeah, I'm from Brooklyn. Like it, it's, it's, it has a there, there's something attached to it that, mm-hmm. that, 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 that people want to be associated <laughs> with it. Um, and I've run into people in Europe that, that, that claim they're from Brooklyn. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm from Brooklyn. Where, where you from? What street? And they they'll say some mad general street that you know Flatbush Flatbush Avenue okay that's a big street which end you what, where on Flatbush Avenue from <laughs> oh I, I'm over there by downtown now and I know they don't really they're not really from <laughs> or maybe they were some people if they were born there like if their mother said you know you were born in Brooklyn and when you were when you were six months we moved to Idaho and we've been there the rest of our lives people will still claim that Brooklyn because they were born. <laughs> Michael Jordan is a perfect example of that. Exactly. <laughs> um, or, or they're from that Brooklyn, the way that it's spelt on um on that album with Marco Polo. They're from that Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah, I don't um, know who's they, <laughs> love that. that is that that is a place, by the way. Mm. Get out of here. we yeah. all right. That's another the way the, that's in the Netherlands. It's in the Netherlands. Get out of here. Ah. Yeah, it's in the Netherlands. I gotta that's go there one day, God willing. I had one more question too. Can I ask another? Yeah, of course. The second part. Yep. Now we talked about the symphony, right? I was going to say harmony, symphony. Please tell me, Ace, we a fly on the wall. I, I, we already got to ask this question of one person, special ed. 
and then profound to show the shirt. What the heck was the Crooklyn Dodgers <laughs> session like with Q Tip? I'm assuming or Ali. I don't know how both of them goes. Oh, okay. Yeah, they okay. both. both Ed, and then I guess God willing, if Buckshot comes on here, blow, uh, Black Moon going to get to ask him. Tell me how that comes together. What's that session like? I don't even know what else to ask. <laughs> take it away, because I am. I love that song from the first time I ever heard. It, I was like, "What is going on with this beat?" Then you, Ed. Anyway, I'm done. Yeah, thank you. The interesting thing about that song, I don't remember the recording part, but what I do oh. remember, but what I do remember is, um, we met at Dollar Cab Lab, that special ed studio. Mm. We, met, Ace, we met. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm cutting. Go ahead. But I want to ask. I don't. Till doesn't want me to ask too much. But could it have been the greenery or something in the air that made you miss? <laughs> nah, what nah, was I, going or, or the nah, animals or whatever. All right. I don't. I, I don't. I don't, I don't okay. smoke. Or I don't. I don't dabble. Okay, okay. So, but we we met at Dollar Cab Lab. That was Special Ed Studio. It's on. It was on Utica and and something. Or, or, or Utica and something in Brooklyn. And Ali was there, Tip was there, I was there, Buckshot Special Ed. Tip played the beat. We listened to the beat, cool. We went home, we wrote a song. I don't remember where we recorded it, but we recorded the song, Q-Tip played it for Spike Lee. Spike Lee's like, the song is cool, but they, need, they don't understand that this, this movie is about the 70s. It needs to, the song needs to embody the 70s. So I'm gonna set up a private screening. The movie wasn't coming out for another three months. He set up a screening for like 20 people, us being among the 20 people. We sat in this little, little tiny little theater room. We watched the entire movie. Lights came up, Spike like, okay, now you guys have seen the movie. Now go back and rewrite the rhymes and have it reflect the 70s. Mm -hmm. And that's the song that everybody, everybody knows and, 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 and the song that you love. But just know that there was a version of that song before that that had completely different lyrics with us, with us just spitting, spitting, going in. And so that exists on a cassette somewhere in, wow. a, in a box or a bin somewhere, but I haven't, I haven't run across it in many, many years. Oh, man. That's, please, can I say something to that? Ace, you murdered that song first yeah. and foremost. Like all three verses, but I, I wanted to know what was going. Two, like one of my favorite lines is uh, "Black." I put this even on my email <laughs> signature. Black man with the permanent tan, and when they come to beef, <laughs> I never ran. Like that's like my life moniker right there. <laughs> and then the sec, what made you? come with the 70 shows like you did at the end. I was just like, that was just genius. And you had them robbing each other. I was like, Ace yeah. is the truth, I, bro. Like, what made I, I you just, think of that? I just I just tried to be creative and 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 you know I took I took all the, I took some of the classic 70 shows and I sort of brought them forward to current day and current hood, you know, reality stuff that's going on in the hood. But I made you know uh, it, it, it it actually is is a is a nod or, or a tip of the hat to Ice Cube when he did the um the uh 
the the um the story, about the, the, the story. Children's sto- yeah, children's the story. story. Yeah, 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 yeah. The one about yes, yes, yes. I yeah. know what same. Is it, it pulls from that? You know what I mean? Because that's what Q did. He talked about Humpty Dumpty and Three Little Pigs, but they was in the Coupe de Ville looking for the wolf to kill. So it was definitely inspired by that. You know that that because I, I I loved what Cube did on that. So definitely inspired by that in some way. Um, but you know I just um. I was just trying to be creative, man. And, and this was 94 and this was wow. This was at the height of my song, Born to Roll. And I was already getting that, that kind of, that, 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 that pushback or that, or that, you know, backlash from New York about me being this West Coast dude now. And so that song that it was so perfect for that, for that, for me to be asked to be on that song at that time, because I really needed something to remind people where I'm really truly from and what my roots are, um, because people were getting it, getting it confused. Mm. Can, can I ask one more? Go question? ahead. I mean, uh, like, <laughs> cause Ace is from Brownsville. Like at least five, four or five of my favorite MCs are from Brownsville. So Sean like, Price. Yes, Sean Price, <laughs> MOP, both of them. <laughs> MOP. Yep. Uh uh isn't one of the brothers from Smith and Wesson from uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Brownsville? Uh, is it Steel? Steel. 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 Yeah. Uh, it's somebody else. Uh, somebody Paul? else. No, I can't think of. I'm, I'm nervous right 90s. now. I'm nervous. Is Let's just off, yeah. Okay, yeah. so we rap. Me and Profound is from Chicago, so we from the south. I'm from the south side of Chicago, so we kind of like Brooklyn. We 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 carry that. We wear that. Like I'm from yeah. the south side. You know what I mean? So yeah, like, yeah. for you. What is it about Brownsville specifically? Like, cause I, I I've never been to Brownsville. I've been to New York, but I've never been to Brownsville, and I want to go. Like, just because of you, Sean Price. Like, what what is like? What is it about Brownsville that true, like true. made you who you are? Cause Southside Chicago made me who I am. So, what is it about Brownsville that made you? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm I'm sorry. I'm 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 gonna, t- I'm gonna tell you a true story. My first time in Chicago. Um, I want to say it was 93 or 94 and the promoter, I, I really wanted to go and see the projects where Good Times, which was the, the, the that, that, that Cabrini Green. Cabrini Green. Yes, sir. So the promoter was like, all right, I'm going to drive y'all over there. Just, you can't wait, you know, don't wear your hat backwards. You know, you got to just kind of, we're going to stay in the car, but just know that it could go down. So we get over there and he parks the car and there's an elevated train that runs past there. And in that moment, I swear to you, it looked exactly like Brownsville. There's a part of Brownsville um, where the three train, it used to be the two train, runs right past the buildings. And I was and I was looking at the train going by and the buildings and I was like, yo, I swear, I swear, I feel like I'm in Brownsville. Like it mm. looked exactly like Brownsville. So just know that whenever you do visit, it's gonna feel familiar to you because Southside felt very familiar to me. It was at night too, and it was just like, wow, like this is crazy. Like I know I'm not in Brooklyn, but it's dark and the people walking, everything about this scene feels like feels like Brownsville. Mm. So what? And it is that you right, Neville. It was Strang Wonder. Strang Wonder is from. Mm. Is he from Brownsville? 
Okay. No relation to Steve. Yeah, OGC, right? OGC. Yeah, OGC, OGC yeah. Where's yeah. your gun clappers? So yeah. like what like what is it about like like how did Brownsville shape you like as an MC and as a man, as a black man? Well, it shaped me as a man in this way. Um I learned very early at a very early age that you you couldn't be a pushover, that you couldn't um allow anybody to take advantage of you or or disrespect you. Um if that happened, you had to react swiftly and and confidently and defend your honor your 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 manhood and so i grew up i i wasn't i wasn't a kid that was looking for a fight or starting a fight or anything like that but at the same time i was never going to let anybody push push me around and and there was a couple of kids in the neighborhood older than me that was like kind of like bullies like i remember a kid um, trying to steal my football helmet. He was, he was bigger than me. He, he, he had brothers that were bad guys and he was a known thief. And he said, let me hold your helmet. And I said, no. And he, he tried to grab the helmet from me and I held onto that helmet with both hands. And he tried to, he tried in his, all his might to rip it out of my hands. And he was dragging me around the grass Till he just gave up but i was not letting him steal my helmet and i wasn't going to fight him because he was an older kid he was bigger than me but he was not stealing my helmet and that's all i knew and you know those are the moments that just kind of shape who you're going to become and, and and that moment when when i didn't allow him to take advantage of me um as scared as i might have been it it taught me how i needed to move going through life and, and, and that can't happen. And that's what Brownsville is, is, is always been about for me is not allowing anybody to, to, to do that to you, whether you're scared, whether you even, you know, know how to fight, you got to stand up for yourself. Just one little thing growing up in New York, I do remember Brooklyn dudes not going to certain parts of Brooklyn, like Brownsville, East New York, there were certain parts that other dudes from other parts of Brooklyn didn't really mess around with. And Brownsville was one of them that I used to hear about. I had yeah. friends from Brooklyn. They're like, well, I don't really go over there unless you know somebody or X, Y, and Z. Right. And that's a part, I guess, of what that, that culture was like, too, coming up from Brooklyn. Yeah, you couldn't be a strange face, you know, which it, it shouldn't be like that. Like, yeah. we, we shouldn't look at people who look like us and immediately think enemy or think um adversary or what they call them ops now like i, I really that's not a good mentality and and, and that need you know I, it's a shame that it's carried on all of these decades yeah where we where we still look at each other and and, and see um and see an adversary i really would love for that to change actually on my album slaughterhouse i have that skit where i talk about you know um uh walking through the valley i'm walking through the valley and i look across the street and I see, you know, I see a guy with a hoodie on and, you know, I don't know who that is. You know, he might be a threat to me. And he's thinking the same exact thing about me as we as we walk on two different sides of the street. Um, that's something that I wish could change. Um, it's, 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 it's wishful thinking because it really, you know, there's this generational, I don't want to say curse, but there's just a, a it's been carried down through 
through generations where we look at ourselves and we see the enemy and 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 yet you know the the the, the KKK is marching through downtown and all the dudes carrying all the big artillery shooting up they 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 brothers they don't show up out there and shoot them up um that's the real enemy and that's what we need to try to figure out and allowing them to deface the the statue the floyd statue that just was put up xyz i, I just want to say one, one i keep saying that but this is it though ace i want to commend you they gave you flowers before but i want to commend you and i never thought of this you weren't like toughest you weren't a punk but you wasn't the toughest rapper the most gangster rapper glorifying x y and z coming from an area like that and, and i think that says a lot to your skill set your heart and and how much you were dedicated to your art and craft and i'm just saying salute to that because i didn't even really think about that until like man so no i appreciate it and through g rapping you know what i mean like you weren't yeah. on that so being from where i was from and the fact that i was actually able to make it to college and you know, and get a degree. I just felt like if I could do that, coming from where I come from, that means that anybody in this neighborhood could do the same thing. And so, you know, I kind of made it my mission and my music to try to make other brothers that's listening to my music feel like they could do the same thing. And so, that first album is really just all about that. It's me talking to the people from my neighborhood, telling them, "Look, y'all could do, y'all could do better. Y'all could do more. Y'all can do more than what y'all were doing." And you know, if I could do it, you could do it. That's essentially what I was trying to say. And yo, Ace, we gonna, I got one question I'm gonna ask for the general, for all of us actually really, um, before we, we wanna play one last little game with you before we let you go. My question is brother, like, can you speak upon like, um, I know you're married and you've been married for some years. Can you speak upon having um, a relationship and maintaining the career that you've maintained for so many years? Mm. Um, uh, with people like myself that have had children that have been in relationships that still try to do this and, you know, try to continue, you know, try to carry on with family and a, and a significant other, if you have one, um, can you speak, can you speak on that and how you've been able to, you know, to cultivate your own relationship with your own family and keep and keep your career going like that? Well, I, I will say that, you know, it's not for all women because not all women can handle this lifestyle, the traveling, the being away from home for extended periods of time, you know, five weeks at a time. Um, I was fortunate because my wife was in the industry as well. And so she kind of already knew the ropes, you know, she knows what it was. She, she toured herself. So she kind of knows what the road is like. She had a, sen a sense of it because if, if, if you with somebody who's never been in the industry, never been an artist, um, it's all a mystery to them. Like, well, what do you do out there? What mm. they 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 can't imagine what's happening and 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 why it's taking so long and and, and all of those kinds of things. Um, but like I said, my wife, she she's she's extremely confident in, in herself. Um, she's not. You can't be. You can't. You can't be with a female who has low self esteem or or is insecure. Mm. Um, because it's going to be a problem. It's going to be hard to, you know, reach a place where everybody's comfortable. Um, she's the perfect woman for me 
mm. because she understands the game. Um, she holds down the crib. It's not like she's home twirling her thumb. She's holding everything down. My daughter, making sure she's good. School yeah. bills. She's she's doing she's doing a, she's doing her 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 end of it. And that you know, if you can find that 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 person, that's who you want. That that's the right person to to be with. But insecurity doesn't work in relationships in this business at all. It just doesn't work. Well, yo, prop, props to her, man. Thank, yeah. thank her for us. <laughs> Absolutely. That, you, that she gives you the space and, and you know, the, 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 the place to be creative and to go out there and, and do what you've been doing and blessing us fans for, you know, so many years. So we appreciate her for that, for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, oh, Almost. Okay. Uh, we won't play this game, but Master Ace, I do want to give you a chance. Um, I know you are working on some really exciting things. Uh, yep. Is there anything that you could tell your fans tonight um, on what you're working on next? Yeah. Um, next album with Marco Polo is definitely in the works. Um, I'm sitting on probably 15 to 17 beats. Mm. Um, I've, I've written to about three of them. I'm taking my time. You know, I'm tired. I had to get 2020 past me before yeah. I could start writing, really. I didn't want to write during 2020 because the whole album would have been fire and brimstone. I don't know. It, it would have been real. It would have been bad. So yeah. I just wanted to <laughs> wait, let thing, let the smoke clear a little bit. And now yep. I'm starting to get back into the right zone. Um, I'm also working on a musical. I've been writing it for the last mm. three years. I'm, I have uh, collaborated uh, with a, a, a hip-hop theater company called Rhymes Over Beats. And they're helping me put this musical together page by page paragraph by paragraph um we actually had a our first table read last march right before the right before the uh pandemic got crazy and the lockdown happened mm. we had we had a table read with a, a few actors came in and just kind of read through the parts just so we could hear it and they loved it there's a lot more work that had to be done obviously um I was, my page count was too high. I was like 140 pages and it's gotta be about a hundred. So figuring out how to chop out 40 pages and keep the story the same yeah, and, and intact and write the song. Cause I, I spent the last year, the whole 2020, I was working on the music um, for the musical. And now I'm back to the script again, trying to whittle it down a little bit more and get to fine tune the story, but keep an eye out for that. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's loosely, it's loosely based on the, um, the storylines on Disposable, A Long Hot Summer, and The Fallen Season. Mm. So some of those okay. characters are, are show up. Yeah. Um, if you know the albums and you'll you'll recognize the characters, you'll recognize right. certain certain scenes and certain scenarios will be familiar to you. And for the fans that don't know the albums, it'll just be a regular scene. But I have some nod, I have some nods to those albums in there that people will recognize. Man. Um, yeah. That's Can't wait for that. I know, because that's interesting, because I've seen you in another video, I mean, another interview, where you was talking about writing scripts, because mm -hmm. that's like the perfect trajectory based off of those albums, because those albums are like movies. They sound like movies. You, you know, when you, yeah. it's very cinematic, right. the way those movies are. So that's just a, a natural progression. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Because the skits on those albums, I had to write scripts for people. Yeah, right. for sure. So yeah. that was my, that was like the, that was the natural progression from skits to, to this. Yeah. That's I wish super. yours had it came out before Hamilton, but we got Hamilton, but hey. <laughs> no, that, Hamilton no is dis, cool. No diss to Ham Hamilton. No, I'm not dissing Hamilton, but. Hamilton is, yo, they. Yeah. I respect those actors because they're not rappers. 
right, right. right, right, right. They're not rappers, and there's there's some really intricate rhyming going on in that oh, in that in that musical. When I was I was like, yo, these dudes is really they going in on these rhymes. <laughs> um, not 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 easy, not easy. Right. Well, profound uh, alluded to it earlier. There's a little game we like to play at the end uh, okay. before we go. Uh, right. And 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 uh, profound has a little intro for it to set up a question for you. If you okay, party people in the house. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. In this portion of the show, we'll show an assortment of hip hop albums and challenge our guests to describe them in one word or less. Do you accept the challenge? One word or less. Okay. All right. Well, what, like what's, the... wait, 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 what's less than one word? <laughs> profound. You, you made that. Go ahead, Profound. Answer that question. Morse code. Blinking. Morse code. Because well, it's ace, we had to tell him the thing. The, the, it's less than one word because it's absolutely impossible to describe yeah. our favorite hip-hop albums in one word. So that's why I said one word or less. So it, it's just to play off. Okay. Of you, if you can get one word out, Ace, you know, but I'll most, try. Most yeah, we don't say. ever, we don't ever get anybody to really. Well, we did have a couple do it. I need my, I, I need a, I need a thesaurus for this. <laughs> yeah. so, I forget who it was. There was one guest that like whipped through a bunch of them with only one word, but most people. <laughs> so here we go. Here's the the first one, one word. Mama said, "Knock you out" by LL Cool J. Bass. <clears throat> I love it. College Dropout by Kanye West. Similar. Similar. Why similar? When I heard it, it made it made me feel that he had listened to Disposable Arts. Uh, that's dope. He probably breathe had. that. Breathe that. Is. Is. Yes. Could we drop sure. on? bomb on that one. Drop the bomb. we need bomb. some sound effects on that one all right we need the case late bomb i know i know you like this album i'm so glad you like this album because i love it this is champion sound jay lib oh. oh man red red oh, that beat is so dope three feet high and rising by de la soul skits skit was this was this album inspired Arguably, as yes. far as like your skits i think it's the first album that had skits and interludes on it right yeah mm. i think right. yes sir very different so. sound here the chronic by dr mm. oh man one word <laughs> you're close bro you're close you got this <laughs> you could do it ace Transformation. Transformation. Can, can you? See, we'll, we'll give you more work. We'll give you some elaborate. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that? It was the first time that New York was blasting a West Coast album. Oh, yeah. Like everybody, every car that never happened in New York before. And the chronic before the chronic, New York didn't mess with no other music from anywhere everybody was corny right. everybody was whack they can't right. rap the chronic came out and new york transformed now new york plays not everything but new york records mm. that's the transformation it took it took 30 years but that's the transformation in new york it started with the chronic let's stay on the west coast then this is america's most wanted by ice oh, cube oh man 
man. Favorite. Fav- favorite of his? Favorite of his. Yeah, that's a dope one. We'll stay out there for one more. This is Good Kid, Mad City by Kendrick Lamar. Oh, oh. Uh, influenced. Influenced. Okay. Can you speak on that? I believe, but I don't know. But I believe that he may have been influenced by some of my records. I don't I mean, know that to be. I don't know it to be a fact. It just sounds like it because it, yeah. it reminded me of my. It reminded me of what I would do. Yeah, I mean, but I think. I, don't know. I think an MC of his ilk, uh, of that of you know his era, younger generation. I, there's probably not an MC that wasn't influenced by you in some way. So I, I think that's probably a safe bet. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now you just messed me up. <laughs> what ace? What is it like when Eminem says that you're? Mm-hmm. One of his, I mean, this is one of the biggest MCs prior to Drake, right? Says that you you trash are like some of his main influences, and I think he has Slaughterhouse as his favorite album. That right? I don't know if I have all this correct, but what's that like for you as an MC? Because you just word use the word influence. What's that like for you? Uh, it's it's surreal, kind of, mm. because people. Some of the names that he says, you know, he says Big Daddy Kane, he says Coogee Rap, he says Tretch. People were like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says my name and people go like, huh? Like, Mm. because most, because I wasn't as commercially successful as these other people that he mentioned. But the fact that he mentions my name in, in, in in that group of MCs should let people- And above, and above at that. Should, should let people know that it must have meant something really to him for him to say that, to, 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 for him to throw my name in with those names. It must, that means that something I did meant something to him. Yeah. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope. Are right, we going, we're going, yeah. Oh, you, I, keep, I, you going, you going to, you keep going? You go ahead, Alamas. No, no, no. I'll wait till you finish. Okay. I was just going to slide through two more. All right. Okay. Two, two more class. And we're going to end with two, what I consider some of the most classic albums ever. Any genre. All right. This is Illmatic by Nas. Great. Great. Can't argue with that. All right. Last one I want to throw at you. This is The Low End Theory by Tribe Called Quest. Mm. I can't do it in one word. Thank you. Sorry. We'll grant you more words for the last oh. one, man. Oh. You've done a really good job tonight. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're batting a thousand. And you that's, my, that, that's my favorite of all the Tribe albums. Mm. And that album influenced me. In what way, may, may, may we ask? <laughs> um, you know my song, Jeep Ass Nigga? You familiar with it? Mm-hmm. So the bass line on that song, when I heard the Tribe album and what they were doing with the jazz bass lines and then bringing the drums in, it was, co- it was completely me trying to do something like that. Mm. Um, and then on the song, I say low in theory, tape in, bass crazy, kicking it. Uh. Um, so, it, you know, there's always nods. There's tips of the hat and nods to other projects that you, you know, um, 
that you hear and that that that, that puts you in a mindset when you're in the studio working. And that's one of the albums that put me in that mindset. Um, mm-hmm. And and the they were the first group to on their songs to have the snares super loud. Like mm-hmm. we would always do balance. Like when I worked with Marley, yeah. we would, everything was always balanced. But when I heard their stuff, they had their snare way out front, way out front, like super loud. And I was like, oh, shoot, that's kind of dope. It makes the song stand out more. So and I started trying to do my snare super loud, too. The other thing, the other thing that they did with their records that was different than anybody else. Um, you guys know what dropouts are, right? So yep. you're rapping and the music drops and it comes back in. Right. They were the first, to, in my, in my opinion, or the first that I remember, to do a dropout but then bring it back on the snare instead of on the, on the one mm. that was always, and that was different, you know, yeah. and dropping it on the snare was, and I started doing that a lot. Like, and all of that was influenced by, by that album. Yeah. That's dope. I love that. That's probably my second favorite album of all time. I love that album. <laughs> that's, that's a good choice. Yeah. Such a great album. Master Ace, man, we really appreciate you being here tonight. Oh, Io, Io, you got one last, last, And I know we respecting your time, but I got you a master. So I have to ask you as an MC, what do you think makes a good, a great MC? Like mm. what, what are the elements that makes a great MC? Cause you, my teacher, you one of my teachers. So <laughs> I got you with a rule, but I can't let you leave without asking. <laughs> <laughs> So, so there's a lot of ingredients, you know, just like it's that you're like, it's like you asking me what makes a great cake. There's a lot of ingredients. Mm. Um, voice is one. Um, delivery. Cadence. Mm-hmm. Uh, creativity. Um, Punchlines. Um, message. Those, those are the, uh, that was five. Those are the five, to me, to make a great MC. You got you got to be great at all of, all of those things have to be in line. You can have four and be considered great to some people, but for me, it's all of those. It's those five things that need to have the message, the delivery, the cadence, the voice, and the punchlines, and wordplay. I throw wordplay in there too, because because. Yeah. You know, creativity, wordplay, I kind of, those are kind of the same, but they're different. They're different. Yeah. Thank yes. you so much. I'm yeah, done. Thank you. Yeah, Ace, thank you for that. I don't want to get controversial here, but you are Golden Era MC. One of the few that we've had in here, legendary. If you can, to the best of your ability, what is your Mount Rushmore? And I know it changes for people, but what's your top five that? influenced you or top five in general because you are what so many followed what was your barometer the influence so the my there's four main ones that that i always name that or influence influenced me they were guys that set the bar um of what i needed to be at when i heard them i was like okay this is where i need to be the first three are LL, and this is in this is the order of when I heard them and they influenced me. LL, uh, Rakim, mm. Big Daddy Kane, mm. and then Slick Rick. And I say Slick Rick because the 
I mentioned the contest that I had won at the skating rink, and that's how I met Marley. The rap that I spit at that skating rink was basically a Lottie Dottie-esque rhyme about a girl and a scenario and a, a funny punchline and a sexual innuendo type thing. It was all based around Lottie Dottie and how Lottie Dottie was structured. So, and then, so those four for sure. And then the fifth one is always interchangeable. Um, the fifth, if I had to put a, a fifth one in there, I probably would say KRS. Um, because yeah, it, it, it's KRS because he brought the consciousness to it, the consciousness mm. to the to the lyricism. All those other guys, you know, the first three, LL, Rakim Kane, that's all lyricism. Slick Rick is the storytelling, and KRS is the conscious message. Yeah, as a as a dope I, list right there. I try to embody those 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 five MCs. Yeah. That's a super dope list. So, so basically, what you're saying is, for me, I should I should study the ones who I feel like influence me to Absolutely. get to that level. Bet, yeah. bet. Absolutely. You, I want you to know you on that list. I study you a lot. For I, real. I appreciate it. Your goal yeah, should no be doubt. your goal should be when you when you say studying, but your goal should be as you're writing is to is to outdo what you're hearing mm. to to write something better than what you're hearing. Like, oh, that's dope. I'm gonna write something doper than that. Yeah. That's that's what you got to try to do. Don't write something on par with it. Write something better than it. Better, yeah. That's dope that's advice. Thanks, Ace. Yeah. That's what's up. Well, as you can see, Master Ace, we, we could ask one more question and one more question and one more question all <laughs> night long. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, you're brother. good. No, I am, man. I, I, and, and Ace, I have like, I don't know, 15 or so questions from, you know, fans that, that submitted questions. So we didn't get to all of those, but... We we appreciate right, you. You can throw next three in there. Time, throw, next throw, time. You, want, you want to throw three in there? Okay. Throw three, right. throw, throw three good ones in there. This is my favorite one. This oh, is from, from Steve Rubino. Um, he said, as one of the OGs from the 80s, who's there you go. As one of the OGs from the 80s who has been able to make a lifelong career in hip hop, what does retirement from hip hop look like on your terms? Mm. Is it like hanging up cleats from a civilian career, or do you plan to keep on creating well into your golden golden years? And you're in his top five, by the way. So when we talk about the musical that I'm working on, I'm also writing a, I also wrote a, a pilot for a TV series that I'm, that I'm, that I'm, that I'm trying to get out there mm-hmm. as well. Um, it's not a really a retirement. It's more of an exit strategy mm-hmm. um, because I ha- you have to, well, I feel like I have to go to something else. I can't just stop doing this. And then now I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing next. Mm. Um, so in the meantime, I'm working on a new album. Um, I got, I got a tour coming up this summer, but I'm also working on these other projects because once they start to happen, there'll be a smooth transition from touring and making albums right mm-hmm. into musical and TV. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the plan. That's the that's the goal. That's the exit strategy. Um, and I don't I don't think I don't think it has to be a official. Okay, guys, today I re- officially retire. Give me my gold watch. Like I don't think it needs to be that. I just right. think it needs to be a transition into other uh, other areas that are still being creative. And because because I'm a writer at heart, so yeah. whether it's music or something else, right. 
as long as I'm using my my writing talent um, in some way, then I feel fulfilled. So that's what that's what I'm trying to do is take is take my writing talent and use it in other areas. Yeah. So it's really more of an exit strategy than a, than a retirement. Yeah, that's dope. I like I like that that I, that approach. Uh, my man has Dane Hall asked about your inspiration. You talked about some of the artists that have inspired you. But when it comes to, you know, conceptual albums, like where do you find inspiration to, to create those albums? It comes, it comes at three, four, five in the morning. Mm. That's when it, that's when, that's when I get the, the strongest ideas come at those times of the morning. When I'm, when I get up to, you know, take a leak and I lay back down for a few minutes and I start thinking about stuff, that's when the best ideas come. Um, and most of the ideas for storylines and skits and things like that, that's when they come. Because, yeah. um, you know, when our day gets started, you know, if you're married, if you got kids, the day gets so busy. There's yeah. always something there's always something going on. It's making your mind do something other than think about being creative. And um, so... When in those quiet moments, like when the birds just start chirping outside, the sun's not even up yet. That's yeah. when those ideas come, yeah. and I keep the I keep the phone right there. And if I if I get some good ideas, I pick the phone up, I type it into a memo real quick, because in the morning I'll forget. When I wake up, I'll forget what I what I thought of. So I put them all down in the phone, and I go back to sleep. But that's where that's where those that's when it comes. I feel like it comes from a higher power. It's not coming from me. It's coming from somewhere else. I'm being I'm being sent information, being sent ideas, and I'm it's just kind of channeling through me. Yeah, that's dope. That's super dope. All right, last question. You did a song. You were featured on a song uh, by the Scribbling Idiots called "Told You So" some years ago. Uh, theory has it, just me, bunch of other cats. One of the the members of that crew, Cas Meta, he's one of your biggest fans, a friend of mine. He asked, if you could work with any producer you haven't worked with yet, who would it be? Well, wow, last year, or two years ago, three years ago, I would have said DJ Premier, but that finally happened. Yeah. Um, it'll be Dr. Dre. Mm. That's the easy answer because yeah. I've always wanted to find out the ingredients to the secret sauce. Mm. The secret sauce is how Dre makes his beats sound so loud and, and yeah. hit so hard. There's something he's doing that nobody else is doing that I need to figure out. And I've been trying to figure it out. I've, I've I actually, when I mixed, when I mixed Disposable, when I mixed Long Hot Summer, we do something called AB. So you play something that sounds really, really great. And then you play your stuff next to it. And if your stuff sounds muddy, not crisp, then you know you got more work to do. Mm. I would I would always A B my stuff to Dr. Dre's production. Mm. I would play his joint, then I'll play my joint. I'll be like, yeah. oh, my joint is, is weak. It's 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 not it's not knocking at all. Yeah. Back to back to the drawing board. And and so he was always the A B. His music was always A B. So and I never I never reached the level that he reached with his sound. Yeah. It's just difficult. Um but if I could work with anybody, I would be, I would work with him and I would ask mad questions. I can only assume that he's a frequent listener of the uh, Boom Bap chat. So I'm sure he's listening in. So cool. Dr. Dre, <laughs> you, 
You heard it here. Make for- it happen. Nice to work with you. <laughs> Profound, what's up, man? Man, one last thing, Ace. Is there, do you think that, is there an MC hierarchy? And do you consider yourself part of that hierarchy? And should there be an MC hierarchy? I don't think there's a hierarchy. I think that, um, no, I don't think there's a hierarchy. I, I think that, you know, everybody's as good as their last verse or their last, you know, mm-hmm. song. Yeah. You know, um, there are some brilliant MCs or some MCs that were brilliant in their in their, you know, early years that you can't take away what they did in those years. But when you hear the rhymes that they might be doing 30 years later, it's like, uh, I don't know if this is that dope. You don't want to you don't want to discount for what they've done. So to me, it's always it's. It, it's always changing. It's always changing mm-hmm. because, you know, dude could be dope two years ago and now the stuff he's writing now is not really popping. And, you know, you can't just put him on the pedestal and leave him up there when the stuff he's writing is doesn't say he belongs there anymore. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. to me, it's ever changing. Yeah, that's wise. Dope. That's wise. Dope. Well, listen, Master Ace, this is a hip hop show. Uh, so we always end on shout outs. So I'll let my Boom Bap brothers give their shout outs. And then I will toss it to you uh, to give the last word, the last shout out to the night. Is that cool? Yeah. Cool. All right, Profound. You're man, up. What shout outs do you have tonight? Man, I'm going to shout out Master Ace. Man, I want to thank you for coming, man. I appreciate you, big brother. It's always love, man. You always had an open door for me. I appreciate it. Look forward to doing more work with you, of course. Shout out to the Boom Bat Chat brothers. Y'all met the children. I usually shout them out, but I got them all in the building today. <laughs> so, you know, man. And that's it, man. But thanks, Ace. I appreciate you, brother. Absolutely. Cool. We'll swing to I.O. Moss Marad. What's up, I.O.? Man, shout out, Master Ace, man. Big bro. OG. I'm, man, you just, this is, this made my week, my <laughs> month. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. Shout out to Toronto, where I'm at now. Home of Marco Polo. Shout out to Marco Polo. Um, my family back in the crib, back in Chicago. You know what I'm saying? My beautiful wife. And man, Joe, this, I, 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 I'm speechless, man. This made my month, man. I'm good. Like, this is a blessing. So, yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. Right on. All right, I.O., thanks, man. All right, Neville, what you got? Tell us when you meet your heroes and they cool, you know? Shout out right. to you, Master Thanks, bro. Thanks. <laughs> Shout out to you. I know you don't want to be a hero, Master Ace, but you were a hero in the hip-hop, hip-hop world. Um, Shout out to you, Master Ace. Um, shout out to the Boom Bap Brothers, my friends, my family. Um, what else? Shout out to Brooklyn, man. That's that's all I want to say. That's all. I'm speechless. This is <laughs> this is a dope night, man. That's all I gotta say. Thank you, Ace, and thank you, Boom Fam. Thank all y'all. Yeah, I want to echo my Boom Bap Chat brother. Shout out to you all. But um, yeah, Master Ace, really appreciate you being here. And um, you know, if Disposable Arts put another twenty years on your career, I hope Brooklyn story puts another 20 on you know every album you drop i love and i'm inspired by and just appreciate your story and and who you are and and and, and that is just kind of you know you meet your heroes and they're cool like you know i think neville said or i always said it's like wow man it's a cool dude and and he's you know has inspired me all my life basically all my life so really appreciate you being here man um appreciate it thank, thank you Till. thanks for all the the, the props that you yeah. know that you that gave you albums on, on on your page. Yeah, man. Um, thank all you brothers for for the great questions and the good conversation. 
Um, big up, big up Elijah. Uh, keep keep working. Yeah, keep working on that footwork. Um, you might you might want to think about putting him in some some quarterback camps real soon. Yep. They got some dope quarterback camps out there, and just start working on mechanics, footwork. Um, you, you said you got arm strength, so that's good. But accuracy, like all all those, man, that that position is a very technical position, yep. and you need the right you need the right kind of coaching to get these kids right. Um, so. He might be still nine is a little still a little young, but next year, year after, like start start looking into some quarterback camps for him. Um, I don't know if you know who uh King Tech, you know who King Tech is? Swain Tech. So 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 King Tech's uh son is a high well now he's what damn. He's he's a high school junior now, but but I've been following his son quarterback i've been following his son since he was a pop warner kid he was doing amazing things on the pop warner level and now he's probably looking at colleges already it's amazing how fast four years goes by but um he's a quarterback as well um and he you know he puts his son through all kinds of different quarterback camps uh the, the kid is he's a prodigy he's super young he was super young freshman you know playing varsity as a freshman wow. so um just Stay on if, if you you know if he really loves it. Just try to give him the right the right environments to learn the, the position because that's going to help him long long term. You see the development. I see Tech Sun like n- another level, man. Um, mm. So um, yeah, shout out to my wife, my daughter, um, and you know the fans out there. Marco Polo, um, looking forward to this new project with him. My mm. man Strick, Strickland, who always on the road with me, always on stage with me. Um, Shy Town, because Shy Town somehow or another, Shy Town is Brown, like like Southside Shy Town is Brownsville. I don't know how it is, but it is. I'm telling you. Um, and um, when I see those old movies, the seven, the movies from the seventies that take place in Chicago, um, when I when I see those scenes, those actors in the clothing and the the bars and the street corners. It feels it feels familiar to me. It reminds me of my youth, and a lot of movies were shot in Chicago, and so I got to shout the city of Chicago. My, my cousin Cece, who, who who lives out there, who's from the area, um, and just everybody in Shottown, man, love. Wow, thanks, Ace. Cool, cool. All right, y'all. Hope hopefully you come back next Thursday. We have John Robinson that's gonna be in the building. Super dope MC. So please come back next Thursday. Thanks for all of our listeners tuning in on Facebook. Really appreciate y'all, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot, Ace. All right, y'all. Ace, peace, 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 peace.